The statistics are unbelievable, but addiction, it not only covers the area of opiates and you know, speed and stimulants, but also um, uh, anything that this definition would really build into. And it says addiction is an ever increasing desire for something or anything that has an ever decreasing ability to satisfy. Mm. So as you know, Jonathan, mm. that can apply to anything. Yeah, yeah. Sexual addictions, anger and rage, just obsessing on control yeah. as an addiction, right. obsessing on fear of the future, yeah. obsessing on trying to control someone in your household as if that were going to affect your peace. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. And we lean into the things that offset the pain of life for a moment. But the only thing that delivers long-term is the gospel of peace. And that's what Dad and I have worked in for all these years. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. If you've been enjoying the podcast, would you take a minute and log on to your favorite podcast platform? rate us, and leave us a review. It would be a tremendous help, and it allows others to find us easily. Leave us a review, and perhaps next week we will mention you on the show. Addiction is a worldwide epidemic. In fact, 47% of young people have used an illegal drug by the time they graduate from high school. Among Americans aged 12 years and older, 31.9 million are current illegal drug users. 22 million people suffer from addictive substance abuse disorders. 45 million people are directly impacted by addiction. 23 million people are in addiction recovery. And one in three households suffer from, are exposed to, or are otherwise impacted by addiction. We often think of drug users being on the streets, but in fact, many are in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our churches, and our schools. With the statistics I just read, you probably know someone, or perhaps you yourself are struggling with an addiction. How do you get help? How do you help your loved one? How do we point ourselves and others to Christ for true healing? Today, I welcome two incredible men whose lives are committed to counseling the broken and those who struggle with addiction. Randy Eberhard and his son, Rand Eberhard, both work here at Church of the Apostles. Randy is a pastoral counselor and certified drug and alcohol counselor. He has worked with countless adults, adolescents, and their families with an emphasis on career coaching, addiction, and recovery. Randy also serves as the Senior Area Director for Young Life, an international Christian youth organization. Rand is the Director of Congregational Care here at the Church of the Apostles, a ministry of the church that provides classes to help those dealing with difficult situations like grief, divorce, life transitions, or brokenness. These two men have helped guide so many people towards the road of recovery Today, I invite you to listen to Randy and Rand's own struggle of addiction and how the Lord saved and restored them both. I hope you find this encouraging and empowering. 
Also, will you listen fully to this episode, but then prayerfully consider sharing it with people in your life who may benefit from hearing it? Now, on to our candid conversation. I wonder if you've ever wondered if it was three o'clock in the morning and your child or someone that was close to you was dealing with addiction, they were dealing with dire circumstances. I wonder who you would call or if you yourself were in a, having a great time of struggle or confusion in your life. Uh, well, my two guests today are father and son, Randy and Rand Eberhard, and they are the men that probably thousands of people have called in those three o'clock in the morning moments. And they are specialized in the areas of addiction and recovery. And so that is our topic today. And so Randy, Rand, thank you so much. Rand, you've already been on the program on the topic of suicide, so it's great to have you back, Randy. Thank you. Addiction. This is an absolutely enormous topic. A lot of the topics that we deal with on this podcast, they fall into those categories. This one I have seen. I know people personally. I would venture to guess that almost every single person that's listening to this has either themselves been through it or have had a family member whether it's a parent, a child, a sibling, a close friend who's dealt with addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, substance abuse, whatever it is. So I wonder if we can kind of just start the ball rolling here on conversation around addiction. So Rand, how do you kind of define this? Yeah. Well, I don't know the exact statistic, but I heard one that says something to the effect of overdose and preventable death in the area of addiction is the equivalent of a 747, which is, I don't know, a couple hundred people on an airplane crashing at least every 24 hours in the United States. That many people die, something to that effect. Every couple of hours. Yeah, so it's overwhelming, the statistics of people that are dying from fentanyl and Mm -hmm. drugs that that would be described as as recreational. Yes. Like uh, drugs that, unfortunately, young people primarily use that is now laced with fentanyl that kills people. Even police officers die when they are exposed to fentanyl, which is 50 times more potent than morphine, yeah. which is, you know, an end yeah. of life prescribed uh, narcotic. Yeah. It's just tragic. Um, just in January, I attended a funeral for a young guy in his twenties that lived with my wife and family and I for mm. a time. Mm. Uh, Steve was his name. We loved him dearly. On January 31st, we had his funeral, and it was a very large funeral, and Mm. his death affected many, many lives. Mm. Um, So the statistics are unbelievable. But addiction, it not only covers the area of opiates and speed and stimulants, but also um, uh, anything that this definition would really build into. And it says addiction is an ever-increasing desire for something or anything that has an ever decreasing ability to satisfy. Mm. So as you know, Jonathan, mm. that can apply to anything. Yeah, yeah. Sexual addictions, anger and rage, just obsessing on control yeah. as an addiction. Right. Obsessing on fear of the future. Yeah. Obsessing on trying to control someone in your household yes. as if that were going to affect your peace. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. And we lean into the things that offset the pain of life for a moment. But the only thing that delivers long term is the gospel of peace. And that's what dad and I have worked in for all these years. And my dad, for my entire 46 years, 
has not only modeled that, yeah. but has served uh, as a ministry of, of reconciliation for my entire life. Yeah. Well, and I, I should say at the get-go here that you're not just in the area of counseling, but both of you have lived through this yourselves right. uh, in your own lives and, and even losing a son and a brother. It's a very real situation to you that you felt and experienced personally. I wonder if we can just talk a little bit about that in, in terms of your own backgrounds, then we'll kind of build into the work that you're doing now. Well, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous has a line that says any kind of substance use disorder is cunning, baffling, and powerful. So a lot of mm-hmm. folks that come to see me or I'll go see them, they're fooling themselves. So let's say just alcohol or drug use is sneaky and kind of snuck up on them. And when we say that, that develops a habit. But that habit will eventually, at some point, as Rand was saying, if it's not arrested, will grow into dependency, Mm. as chemical dependency. Mm. And that chemical dependency, uh, if you stay in it, will eventually turn into addiction. And that involves physiologically, emotionally, Mm. mind, body, and spirit. So when you're there, we call it in the recovery community, when the vampire bites you, then you're done, but you can be set free. And we can talk about that a little bit later, but it's sneaky because a lot of the folks that come to see me there, it's a overused word in denial. Yeah. They think they're okay. Yeah. And I obviously for years and years and obviously ran we can spot that pretty quickly. We're not punitive. We're not, it's grace-based in the, the, the sure. love of Jesus and say, just to make you aware of where you are. And we draw charts for them and the, the whole deal, mm-hmm. but alcohol use will never stay the same. It'll either decrease or increase, but mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. going to stay the same on mm-hmm. a graph. Right. The tricky part is, is some people will say, well, I drink every night and I've been drinking for 30 years. But we don't know what damage that's causing to their liver and organs, things like that. But it is a tricky deal. Yeah. And alcohol does not discriminate. Yeah. It affects anybody anywhere. Yeah. So and that's right. those are the folks we love to be with. Yeah. You know, yeah. reach out to. Yeah. Well, Randy, while you're talking, I mean, maybe just tell us a little bit of your own story and your own background. Well, I hope this are my story, mine and Susie's story. We've been married 48 years this mm-hmm. August. Mm-hmm. We raised three boys. Rand here with us is our oldest, and he's a miracle. And uh, we don't claim that. We give God the credit because we've lost a child, too. So when you go through an experience like that, you're not looking for credit anywhere. Right. And yeah. <laughs> it's a tough place to be. Yeah. I do thank the Lord that... It's a very high divorce rate after you lose a child. Drew was 28 years old, had too much to drink one night, got out in the street, got hit and killed on the scene. What's uh, interesting is nobody called me. Nobody likes to wade into this except for Rand calling us and giving us the news. The police didn't call. The cab driver that dropped him off on the side of the street didn't call. The only person that called me was the funeral home and said, you're going to need to have a closed casket ceremony. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking of that. Of course, the Lord Mm -hmm. restores us and we claim that Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. But 
death is a lonely place. And uh, I really love and enjoy working with families to help them get an awareness around their, as Al-Anon says, their qualifier, which is the substance use person in the household, and teach families that sometimes families are as sick as the addict. Mm, And to be able to walk with them and love them and wrap our arms around them because they need that and they need guidance. And that's probably one of my joys for sure is to be able to walk alongside of families in that deal. And then our middle son's in the Air Force and he's doing well. And and, uh, so we've been through it and it's a family that's out there hurting and struggling. What do I do? Because we, Susie and I did not know what to do. We were not, I'm not going to say I'm an expert now, but we've been through a lot of life experience. But back in that day, when our guys were growing up, we we were oblivious. We had no idea what was going on. We had no idea what to do. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's why we love to help families. You yourself have dealt with addiction with alcohol. Well, I got to a point where 20... was it 21 years ago? No longer bound that you went to. 20, yep. And the director there knew I was in ministry and pulled me aside. And, and I didn't know it because I didn't know anything about the industry. And and uh, he uh, started talking to me about how much do you drink? And so I was telling him and he, he said, well, he said, you're going to be able to work with a lot of family. So I'm going to put you in a group. I might have been the only outpatient. <laughs> That no longer bounds ever had. It yeah. was no longer bounds a Christian men's recovery right. program. Right. But for right. those, well, it was eight months. It was a nine month program then. But when he taught with me, he put me in a program. And to be honest with you, I dreaded going up there. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and here's the funny thing on that: everybody wants accountability until they get it. Right. Amen. That's a heavy hitter, yeah. and that's what Dad's talking Gosh, about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when he put me in that, I you know you talk about denial. Sure. I was going, I don't have a problem. Yeah. Rand's the yeah. one that's got yeah. the problem. You, know? yeah. you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> and when I was sitting through the group, and really it's the best training I've ever wow. gotten, wow. you know, wow. with my graduate work and all that, that that's great. But mm-hmm. the training I received going through everything that No Longer Bound has done, and there's several great programs out there, not just yeah. No Longer yeah. Bound, but yeah. the Christian Men's Recovery Program. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's amazing when somebody calls you out. Yeah, when, when the when the spotlight is shining on you. Yeah, not somebody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that can be, get that light on that somebody be. else. Yeah. So when someone has their foot in a body of water like Lake Lanier or the ocean, and someone is fully immersed or fully in the water, their entire body, or someone's thirty feet or three hundred feet or three thousand feet deep. It's all the same body of water and such is the case with addiction. Mm. It's like, so when do you know if you're an addict or not? Right. People ask me that all the time. Right. And I say, you know, one of the key self-assessments that I use is this. At any point during your partaking with whatever substance or behavior you're engaged in, if you feel apathy around responsibilities in your life Mm. and consequences. Yeah. It's a pretty good indicator that you're no longer functioning from the heart God gave you, Yeah, but from the senses and the intellect and the, the pressure of life 
and anger and sadness and the stress and anxiety inform your decision. You're just a instead, shell. And yeah, instead of a surrendered life and instead of a, a prayerful, conscious surrender that says, Lord, you're involved in my, my coming and going. Show me the high road here mm-hmm. and help me apply the cross to whatever this situation demands of me socially mm-hmm. or emotionally or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's a clear indicator. If your life is burning down all around you, vocationally, spiritually, relationally, and you're so blind to the fact that you think you're managing well, it always comes back to a heart issue that says, I want to sit on the throne of my own life. I don't want to surrender or submit even to the Lord Jesus. I want to call the place. But does the blind person see themselves? Because as you've already said, I don't have a problem, Mm -hmm. right? So for those who are maybe even either self-assessing at this point or maybe you know, assessing a friend or a mm-hmm. colleague or somebody that maybe they're concerned about. What are the sort of so the markers tick marks? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the markers are if consistently the people in your life are approaching. Like for one, you could go online and do the Michigan Alcohol Screening Test. I think is what it's called. It's a ten right. question assessment that's clinical in nature, right. and you can fill that out objectively as a friend or a person in addiction. And see pretty quickly whether or not you check box mm. enough of those to right. seek further help. Yeah. So the person living in denial um, could do something like that or listen to the people around them. And if enough people are saying the same thing, maybe yeah. God's trying to get your attention. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that, you know, will come in and see me and they're saying, well, I'm doing fine. I show up at work. I haven't been divorced. I haven't ever been, not been arrested, don't have a DUI. And then I ask them a question in love. I yeah. just say, I, hey, man, I, I get that. Congratulations. But how much potential are you losing? Hmm. That's a good question. That resonates with folks. Hmm. And they sit there and get quiet, and I'm more than happy to be still with them in that because I ask that question with all compassion. Yeah. It, what could it be like? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, with if, your best self. If you that's this. right. Yeah, and that really gets to some folks that, oh, I could start another business, or you know, sky's the limit yeah. at that point. Mm. And for years in youth ministry here in the neighborhood and here at the church, I'd always see kids around about age fifteen, tenth grade, yeah. that would see that fork in the road. These would be attenders of Bible study frequently that I led, Young Life, Church, Ministry, STS. And then suddenly they just have a total shift in worldview, attitude, perspective. And now they have this adversarial nature about them where you were resourcing them with life-giving words and investment and discipleship. And suddenly they have this shift and it always comes back to what people would call as adults, we would say a gateway drug like marijuana. Right. So you can see the markers very yeah. clearly on a young person's life that now they're weed smoking and everything changes. And what that does is throws a person into social anxiety and it's subtle yes. because the physical effects of marijuana have this beneficial assumed pleasure thing. And then you partake and you're like, oh, man, I can kind of shift into a different personality. Right. But to dad's point, you're not your true self and you're not leading from the heart God gave you. Right. And now you're suspicious you've and you're awkward. A crutch. You've created a, a coping mechanism, a escape. crutch. It's an escape. Yeah. It's an escape that has consequences. 
but they're subtle. Just like alcohol is more subtle, it takes time yeah. versus crystal meth or you know hard narcotics. Yeah. These other drugs take a longer time to ruin your life, whereas you know heroin or, or meth would pretty quickly end yeah. things for you. Yeah. These other drugs are subtle, yeah. but you're not your best self, and the ability for God to affect the condition of your heart yeah. is greatly hindered because your your head is so convoluted with something outside of God's plan. Yeah, and I, I'd say this: that guys, I just think of the faces and guys that work with even now is uh, they'll they'll tell me um, we have great conversations, and uh, they say, "Well, Randy, I don't need it. I don't need to drink." And my challenge is, I go, okay, brother, then don't drink for 30 days. And yeah. call me when in about four days you have a drink. Let's talk. <laughs> when you <laughs> and, realize you did and, it. And then, and then the conversation completely changes, yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, I love my guys that I work with. Them. Let me ask this. In your experience, where are sort of the age breakdowns? Rand, you've already brought up that it's sort of like, 15-year-olds are starting to kind of face that initial crossroads. But you've worked with really young people and you've worked with a lot of older people. Where did these things begin and start? And then where do they escalate? Like, or do you notice trends across things or are they just you every know, which would, way? My addiction, I, I don't think I made clear that I was an addict for a number of years from age from seventh grade mm-hmm. is when I first started using and then by the time I was in high school, I was drinking alcoholically. Mm. Okay. And then from there, I went on to struggle with, as dad described, a stronghold where anger and sadness and pressure informed my life, mm. where I closed the word of God for a season of my life. And thank the Lord, I saw in my parents' life, the embodiment of the living God and mm. the word that is like the, like a hammer that, that, that smashes and restores yeah. and yeah. breaks to pieces and the, the shines Lord the light, shines yeah. the light, exposes yeah. and yeah. forms everything. The evidence of, of a risen Christ in my parents' life for decades was the most compelling evidence of God yeah. for me that brought me back to a place where I knew it's like, okay, this is authentic. And I know Romans one talks a lot about the creation of God so that men are without excuse well, most of these parents that may be listening can say, you know what? If all I can do is live in front of my kid, I'm honoring the Lord. Yeah. You know, if I'm surrendered yeah. and, and walking in the fullness and that, of life. That's a fine line, though. Um, I say sometimes we're not here to break out the 40-pound Bible and beat you over the head with it. Yeah. Uh, well done is better than well said. Yeah. If, if you're a family member that sometimes giving more advice than not, that advice is not going to help your person quit drinking. Uh, but a, a life lived as well as you can and offer that life up to the Lord, that will speak louder than words, as mm. the old saying goes. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. And Dad often references to parents and others, ask more than you're telling, you know, when you're dealing with somebody that is struggling in addiction, yeah. ask questions. Jesus asked really good questions. Right. And in doing that, ministry unfolded yeah. in incredible yeah. ways. Mm. I would say this too, Jonathan. If you wake up every day and say, how can I encourage somebody today mm. instead of sales pitching them, getting yeah, them yeah. to do what I yeah. want them to do? Right. And how much, how far can an encouraging word from the Lord go rather than you need to do this, you need to do that. Not to discount that because we all have to 
do things in life, but a word of encouragement and understanding. I have a lot of guys saying my wife doesn't understand me. And of course we could talk about that for two hours, but an alcoholic is a lonely person. And what they really want at the end of the day is somebody to listen to them. Yeah. Let me come back around to the age thing. So you've given your own story, but I mean, with the people that you find and you come across, do you find there's genetic background behind a lot of the addictive personalities and then what, like, so if someone has an awareness that this is a, a problem within my family line that I am very likely mm-hmm. to struggle with, what are ways for them to kind of think through and, and address that? And I will say this first. I, one of my professors who is also, he's got all kinds of degrees, but he's a geneticist also. And I said, okay, tell me about predisposition to substance use. And he said, predisposition is a real thing, but it's not fate. Yeah. Yeah. And that really taught me. Mm -hmm. And then I asked another professor, I said, um, what is a gateway drug? Because we do work with a lot of young people. Sure. But I I work with 80-year-olds, you know. So what is a gateway drug? And the guy said, well, you just saw the brain scans. If you predisposed, everything's a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. You know how you, we say to young people, marijuana is going to be legal, Randy. That's that's not a gateway drug anymore. And I said, I don't think it is unless you're predisposed. I said, but Jim Beam's legal too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that might be a gateway drug. Right. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's the predisposition of that. Yeah. And that's where the 12 steps are a wonderful model to find recovery and freedom. And step four is often where recovery begins which talks about, you know, understanding God and surrendering to the Lord himself, Jesus, who we know to be the one true God. But in the process of working a program at whatever age it is, change is essential. And it's always comes back to a heart condition more so than what becomes a cop out to say, I'm predisposed genetically yes, right. to this, that, or the other. That's what and I was and thinking, I, I'm yeah. diseased with alcoholism or whatever. That may be true scientifically. But as dad said, it's not fate, which is his professor brilliantly uh, shared with him. But it's a willful defiance to say, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's the addict nature. I want what I want and I want it now. And I'm going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. And when people come against that, Mm -hmm. the resistance, all the defense mechanisms kick in, like projecting blame, minimizing, denying, Mm -hmm. blame shifting, avoidance. You know, that happens even well into adulthood. Yeah. So it's we were Garden of Eden all over. It, it is. And it, and it comes down to it's so easy to cop out with this, this language that buys people time. So for the person you're trying to help, don't take them at some victim minded concept. Yeah. It's willful defiance that you're saying something else is going to sit on the throne of your heart mm. instead of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, because that's the only place you're going to walk in the abundance of life and true freedom. I want to talk a little bit about the drivers, the things that are, in a sense, driving people to whatever the substance, chemical, emotion, whatever it is that that's getting them there. So with people that you work with, what do you find? Is it is it sort of two or three things? Is it just a spectrum of things? Is it mostly relational? Is it economic, what do you find are kind of the main primary drivers towards this lifestyle? 
Well, it's an array of sure. things. Okay. It's it's yeah. not just yeah. one to three things. Right. It, yeah. it, it's a lot. I will say this on a side note: when we process this, these what we call trigger points. What is driving you to drink, so to speak? Right. In recovery programs, or folks like us that work with it, we're we're trying to help people discover replacement behavior, and that behavior, as Apostle Paul says, the change comes by renewing of your mind. So in alcohol, AA says stinking thinking will get yeah, you where you right. don't want to be. Right. So we have to change the way we think. And so I just wanted to throw that in there. But um, ask the question again, Jonathan. To- uh, so what do you so you just filled in that it's sort of an array of things that are that drive people. So what are those things? Well, I mean, one of what, the things that we can't are, deny, yeah. and this is not probably what most believers would want to hear and admit to. But the fact is, I mean, there is an appeal to alcohol or substances that deliver you from the stress of life for a time. Right. But the problem is they burn your life down. Collateral damage is what I call it. Hmm. So there might be a moment of euphoria or fun and happiness. And these experiences more than anything are what young people are addicted to Yes, is being caught up in the concert and the music festival. And now that you're on five substances and you're not even having fun anymore, you're like a lab rat walking around out there (laughs) on the lot and you're not even having fun. You don't know who you are. Right. But people are caught up in that experience of trimming in their spring break with, Oh, and guess what else we did? Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So that are caught up in this lifestyle And that's a big thing that's central to change in my teaching. Desire to change is one dimensional. Decision to change requires mourning the loss of a lifestyle. And that was the the one verse I was going to zero in on specifically is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's essentially understanding the identity in Christ, understanding the human struggle as we know it, and humbly laying your life down and saying, Lord, help me put the old guy to death so I can get on with the life that you've handed down to me, the calling of including me in this reconciliation ministry. That's everything for me, Jonathan. And that's been 20 years of laboring with that humble, the attempt to live humbly in such a way that I realize I'm just not that important. I'm just included on the team. Yeah. Well, and clinically, if you really think about it and process it, and I just focus on alcohol just for a second. When you're drinking, your first 27 to 32 minutes are, this is great. This is euphoric. But then you start what I say, the hangover process. And when you recycle that over and over and over again, your brain is telling you, I need alcohol physiologically. To get back to the euphoria. To get back Mm -hmm. to the euphoria. But then you crash. And then I have a lot of guys say, I got to use cocaine to get back up. And these are normal guys. These are yeah, not some. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're not in the back alley. No, no, they're yeah, not. Yeah, they're they're yeah. just guys trying to make it. Well, and, and, and sometimes they're kind of high flyers in society. They're doing well in business. And yeah. 
you know, until they don't do well. Until, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's that loss of potential. But if you think about it, the destructive pattern of recycling a hangover over and over and over again. And that's the insanity definition. You yeah. Know? And in that cycle, interestingly, the markings of the surrendered life and the, the abundant life in Christ is the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Jesus said, judge them by their fruit. Yeah. What a great self-assessment. Yeah. Do I have love, joy, and peace and patience? Yeah. Most of the time, the addict has none of that. No. So even in the throes of addiction and this this high-profile experience of who knows what, it's like, man, do you really have uh, the joy of the Lord and the peace of God that transcends understanding? Yeah. And they're probably not going to be ever able to articulate that or show with their life that they do. You know, it's interesting, Rand, a minute ago, you just mentioned the, the sort of social aspect. And then, Randy, you were talking about the the first sort of 27 minutes of euphoria. And I've heard you say before that it's sort of like running with the dogs on, on yeah. Saturday. You know, there, yeah. there's this highly sociable aspect to, uh, in particular, with alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to, like, paint that picture because I think a lot of people will hear this and Again, they'll either know somebody or they themselves may be like you, Randy, where it's like, I don't think I have a problem. And they may not clinically have a problem, Mm -hmm. but they may be resounding with even this conversation about that. We need to be careful because, I mean, there is a sense of which consumption of alcohol, and I may be put on trial here by some of our listeners, but I mean, (laughs) consumption of alcohol is not wrong in itself. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's the manner in which and the, the attitude towards and the the responsibility level. I mean, right? Every one of those alcohol ads says, please drink responsibly. Yeah. I mean, they practically whisper it because they want you to consume yeah. vast quantities <laughs> to make sales. But there's something about responsibility. So, I mean, do you do you kind of talk with people that you're counseling about in terms of responsibility? And how do we balance that out? Because I'm just thinking from lots of different, trying to think through different angles here, but how do I enjoy sociable interaction with people and yet be on guard, whether I have the sort of genetic makeup in my background or not? How do I be careful around these things? How do I, how do I walk this out carefully without my whole world collapsing or living in denial or whatever it is. Well, I, uh, as I say, the program director, when Rand was in the program and, he said, he said, Randy, uh, I don't have a thing against drinking. He said, I'm just one of those guys that can't drink. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, let's go back. And I'm not just, this is, I'm not, sales pitching here. Okay. But the American medical association says for males, you two drinks a night. Well, some people can't have two drinks right. a night, yes. right. but some can. Right. So, you know, I'm certainly not one to, to sit there and, and say, you can't have two drinks a right. night. Right. That, that's not my issue. My issue is when these trigger point, when you're drinking now to get a feeling, yes. when you're drinking unhealthily, when you're drinking to that, all your relationships blow up. I, I can't tell you how many guys come into me that are older guys. Yeah. They go and say, I had too much wine at dinner last night and I offended two of the couples we were with. And I had to call and apologize the next day. I said, well, why are you here talking to me? Yeah. He said, I'm just tired of making those phone calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, 
I don't want to give anybody license to drink heavily. Yes, right. I, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm not one of those people that if you're having a glass of wine at dinner, I'm not going to walk across the room and go, hey, you know how dangerous that is? <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. But the trigger points, Jonathan? Yeah. I'm kind of sick and tired of the word COVID. <laughs> but I will tell you. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that. I, I have really, seen yeah. a major increase I was gonna say, yes. on guys that are drinking out of boredom because they're not showing yeah. up at an office and yeah. having to get up, yeah. take a shower and shave. Yeah. Uh, men and women. Yeah. And, well, and the women aren't shaving their face. Uh, well, that's right. That's right. No, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry. That that's correct. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so we, we've been through, and, and this is an international podcast, so we have people who have been in far more lockdown than, than we have yeah. been. Uh, that being said, the, the principle still remains that we went through a season of people who were stuck at home with family. Now, a lot of us saw that as a blessing. We loved getting to spend extra time with our kids and our spouse, but a lot of people that was a very difficult time. And mm-hmm. I think in talking with people I know, it revealed a lot of flaws in marriages, how much people were disliking spending time together. Mm-hmm. And then I think some of these crutches came in as well. And alcohol, drugs, whatever it was, became a form of either escape or mm-hmm. out of boredom even. I mean, that thought process. So in your recent you know, last 12, 24 months, what are those things that you're seeing? Well, one is the drinking out of boredom, but then the carving out the time I've, I've had guys say, you know, I, I would drink at five o'clock. So, you know, the old five o'clock hour and be out at the happy hour with friends and they're not getting drunk and all that, but had people say, but that five o'clock went to two o'clock. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got on my computer. I did my work. I was at home. You know, those kinds of things. And also I've I've sensed with folks talking to me that um, they're very uncomfortable with being with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can speak to that spiritually, Jonathan, or Rand. But I've really been seeing that. Mm. People don't like themselves. Self-hatred, you know. And the more you sit in that cycle of despair and isolation, the more you just resent yourself and you or someone else and you drink at someone instead of telling them how you feel. You're just like, let me just show my apathy here and throw back at them. Yeah. Drinking at someone. Yeah. But so change doesn't occur based on force fact or fear. And this is a concept developed by a medical doctor who worked with heart disease patients with leading cause of death. He came at it from a clinical perspective around how do we see people change? Cause I'm tired of seeing my patients die all the time. Yeah. I think the book was called change or die. Um, Don't necessarily reference that as, as a spiritual resource, but nonetheless, the concept is really good in that it is a biblical idea around changing in the context of relationship. Hmm. And the word of God says, forsake not the assembly Hmm. of God itself. The body of Christ has been central to my marriage and my relationship and my recovery for 20 years and my kids and growing up in the church, being there every Sunday, multiple times a week. Having an environment where you're known, the three things you're heard, understood, and valued, mm. where there's a name, there's a relationship, mm. Mm. and where you isolate, you lose sight of that life-giving invitation into what God has for us and togetherness. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, and probably the first thing a lot of people did, and we're seeing this across churches around the world, is a disconnect from the gathering mm-hmm. because of a virus. And then it became a slippery slope. You know, it became sort of, well, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to change the topic here. I think it, this fits in line with what we're talking about. It became, well, we'll watch church online. Church online became twice a month then mm-hmm. once a month. And then it was almost like, what's the point? Why are we even doing this? Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that losing connection with the body. So, I mean, you're not just counseling <laughs> believers who are struggling with. Oh yeah. We're chemical with the dependency. You're, out you're, people Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 and, and I think we need to be careful to talk because you're, you're bringing in a lot of faith elements to our conversation. Yeah. A lot of people you're working with are saying, that's all crazy. I don't, yeah. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that justice or anything that you're talking about. So how do you, when you guys meet with a, a patient, a client, however you describe it, I mean, how do you sort of begin that process of maybe triaging? So you're, you're trying to get a perspective on where they are in a, in a spiritual sense in a addiction sense and all that sort of thing. And then, and then where do you begin your process of, we need to start at this point A for you. That is a fantastic question. And a lot of um, the guys I work with, I, I do not lead in with, quote, a Christian <laughs> right. recovery program. Yeah. I'm there sure. to help them. But right. it's because the Lord has healed me from the inside out. Right. right. You do heal in community. So, you know, you do need healthy people around you. But I approach it, it is, you know, I know we're looking talking about scripture but you know the lord says if you're really worn out if you really can't make it take a look at me because i'm gentle and humble spirit i mean that that to me is fascinating but that's what i try to do for the folks that are sitting in my room and i may meet with somebody three five months and then ask for permission say do you mind if i talk to you about your spiritual journey Hmm. And they go, yeah, but I didn't know how to bring that up, but I really want to talk about it. Interesting. That. So there's already uh, yeah. an awareness. Yeah. It's always it an unmet spiritual need. You know, mm-hmm. there's. Well, so, I mean, just between the three of us, we all know that that's the case. Right. But for the person. But I'm actually surprised that, that the other party has that awareness. There um, is a void yeah. there. And yeah. they don't know what it is. Yes, right. And I'm not saying I'm an expert. Sure, sure, sure. Filled it totally. But, but the but the fact that they are aware that there's a spiritual element mm-hmm. involved, because right, they've been filling the or attempting to fill a void with a very tangible, real substance. Although, as you've already pointed out, Rand, sometimes it's not just substance. Right. It's a, and it delivers for a time. It offsets pressure and uh, all these things. And it it has this benefits of feeling better for a time, but the unmet need, the condition of the heart, the fullness of life, it's not just the body of believers life in church, but it's also worship. It's also confession. It's the sacraments, taking communion and growing in your faith. It's all those things. But back to your original question of the person who's way out on the fringe of society, The goal is to be fully present with them and show them the value and the dignity and respect they deserve as a child of God, whether they know it or not. And I try to do that by listening with my whole heart. Mm -hmm. And if given space after asking good questions, getting to know them, to share examples or or to, to 
talk about the depths of my own depravity, yeah. past and current. Yeah. Just because I'm sober doesn't mean I still am above, yeah. you know, yeah, above yeah. problems right. on the daily. 100%. Uh, struggle is delayed obedience, you know, and we struggle because we want to be our own authority. And interestingly, the paradoxical nature of um, the absence of peace, we sacrifice our peace when we try to control. So that's where you come back to the surrender concept. When you surrender, things get better because you're receiving the help offered you. So the person that you ask on the fringe, you say, well, man, tell me about your life. They give you some storylines and yeah. um, then they begin to build a case for themselves and justify and minimize the damage, et cetera. Blame shift. Yeah. Blame yeah. shift. And you go, well, how's that working for you? Yeah, man? Yeah. Mm. And let them have some introspective heart thought. Mm. And get them by way of kindness to just say, man, unpack that for me. I would say this. Alcohol or drugs are the symptom. They're not the root. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. But society wants to say exactly. this is the problem, right? The war yeah. on drugs. The You know, it's this is the problem. This San is Francisco, the thing that needs to be addressed. You're using drugs in the street in the open air, like right there in front of everyone. And right. It's That's not okay. And, yeah. You know, yeah. you're right. So say a family member says, you got to go see Randy or you got to go see Rand. I don't ever start out and say, Hey man, you need to quit drinking. See how much damage you're causing. Mm. That's just the symptom. There's mm. something mm. beneath that where alcohol says, you know, when you think about it, catch yourself, alcohol, anonymous, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Well, there's a lot of people that are coming in that are lonely. Mm. They're tired. They're not understood. Mm. It could traced back to their childhood. There's something behind the drug use. And that's what we have a passion for, is to find that. And this can be a, an issue within churches. I should be specific, not just the universal church, but churches is, is that we want conformity to an ideal, right? So we end up teaching our kids moralism and we teach them the stories of characters from the Bible and say, be like Daniel, be like David. That's not really what the, the story of those characters is. Those are reflecting what God is doing and through these people. But I think you're right. Cause the thing is, Hey, you need to stop, right? You, you need to just fall in line with this. What we think is the right thing. And yet what we do is then we have a churches that are filled with, essentially Pharisees, right? Who on the outside, everything looks great in line, in order, but underneath and behind everything's in shambles and it's a mess because you, you haven't done the surrendering part, Rand, that you were just mm -hmm. discussing with us. And you know, the funny thing I think is I think about addiction and I think about this recovery stuff that we're covering today, a lot of these concepts have to be taught to the general population mm -hmm. apart from the substance aspect. I mean, the, the aspect of surrender, the aspect of newness of life, the aspect of I'm not the king of my own life, that mm -hmm. all these things that you, you all have talked about specifically with the issue of addiction and recovery are true of anyone who wants to be surrendered to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. To anyone who is calls on Jesus as Lord. These are general concepts that happen to work very well within the addiction issue, the addiction mm -hmm. narrative. I heard something recently, a, a sermon that a guy was giving, and he was saying something along the lines of the two markings of a true believer. So I don't, I'm going to get his words wrong, but it, one was 
you love your enemies. Mm-hmm. And the second one is that you're generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because I think those of us who know someone that's going through a hard time, our first instinct mm-hmm. is either you've got a problem, you need to deal with it. Right. So we address the symptom or two, we say you need to go meet with Randa Randy, which is a good thing, right? You want to get them connected with somewhere where they're going to get help. But at what point is, where do you have skin in the game? Where's the cost for you? Where are you being generous? You, Randy, you already talked about having a kind word for somebody, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't take a lot of time, but I think we often find ourselves too busy to, to give one of those. That's right. I was right? just going to say. But, that, yeah. but that's an element of generosity. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we hear generosity and we just think, get the checkbook out. Mm-hmm. But generosity is time. It's patience. Yeah. It's care. It's love. And I know both of you give that out in spades in your respective ministries because your ministries are so demanding of that from you. But I'm thinking to the everyday believer who's listening to this episode, how do I make myself available in being generous to you know, whoever it is? Well, a practical response to that is that this whole concept of codependency which essentially is caring more about someone's problem than they do mm-hmm. as an yes. indicator of, yes. uh, do I work harder on their problem? Right. Do I work harder on their life than they do right. as parent, as friend? Right. Right. And a really amazing outpouring of love is caring enough about someone to tell them the truth. The truth is you see it. Yeah. And then of course the absolute truth of God yeah. as restorative instead of condemnation of shaming somebody with the word and using it as a weapon versus the reconciliation ministry that I spoke to mm. is that the, you said a second ago, the kindness and generosity, which essentially are godly characters. You know, when we care enough about someone to tell them the truth, it's a, a truth that restores and affects the other for hope. It's the greatest commandment truth to love God with everything Mm. in your being, Mm. but also love your neighbor as yourself. And one of my favorite verses of Paul's is central maybe uh, to Pauline epistles and his theology is the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Mm. If Paul said that with everything that he wrote, that's pretty heavy. (laughs) Faith expressing itself in love. Yeah. If I do all these things and have not love, yeah, I'm just a gong. Mm -hmm. But speaking truth in love, you know, and and if you care enough about someone, you're not going to love them to death, literally. Because if you sit back and make exception for their failures, pay their way out of every problem they get into, they're going to die. And the Ezekiel 33 applies there that the blood's on your hands to some degree because you didn't blow the trumpet. So truth is essential as much as grace is. And grace is empowering them to live out what truth calls them to but we got to hold that tension in the cross and mm. let Jesus be the driver. But we, um, we, we speak truth and love and offer the grace and the time necessary for them to work with what's offered to, to see their life transform. Yeah. And also in approaching, how would you like to be approached? A lot of people are mad at God mm. as much as they understand mm. God. And uh, I had a business guy tell me one time, the best position of going into a negotiation is you don't need a yes. And I don't need somebody to say, yes, I want to know more about Jesus. But if I ask permission and say, would you like to hear the gospel story with no strings attached? 
You do not have to perform. You don't have to tell me you're walking down the aisle. <laughs> Which is funny because that is the gospel, right? It is. It's me saying... But you're talking. I'm laying all my works at the you're, feet of Christ. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, well, yeah. but but you're saying like Al-Anon, the the yeah. families that are coming around and supporting each other over the person that's a substance user, they have a the saying of, "I didn't cause this, I can't fix this, and I can't control this." And if we live in that kind of freedom in anything, mm. where I'm letting that all go. I'm just showing up uh, because I, I'm a believer. I'm showing up with the love of the Lord. And do you want to know what that looks like? Yeah. And, you know, then show me first and then tell me later. And that's fine. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll walk with people for years. Yeah. You know, Jonathan, you did say a few minutes ago about the, the trigger points or what are the causes, what's going on. And we say it's an array of things. Yeah. But I do want to clarify that, that they're all emotional things or, or life that comes at us hard or, or all those things that we know. It could be a, everything from a loss of a child to, hey, um, I just got fired. And those are trigger points. Life yeah. itself, unless you learn how to live in freedom where you have no need yeah. on that, it's uh, very difficult. And that, my heart goes out to folks mm-hmm. that are thinking they can swim upstream the rest of their life without medicating some kind of pain. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. I wonder if we could just take a few minutes and you could share maybe a couple of stories, maybe a story where it didn't end the way you had hoped. And then maybe we can do uh, end on a positive note. We'll do some ones where you saw really dramatic success. Well, for one, just the, the story of Steve that lived with us. He was in his 20s and college student, and dad loved him. I loved him. He had an incredible work ethic. His family are stand up, incredible followers of the Lord and great parents. You know, one unguarded moment yeah. with a substance that ended his life. You know how many hospital visits I do, and, mm-hmm. and that was up there with the saddest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see that go the way it did. It's heartbreaking um, that you pour your life into someone and unfortunately it didn't go the way that you envisioned it going for them. My wife, Jenny, always talks about loving someone for their potential. In our premarital counseling efforts with couples here in the church, she shares that. said, don't love someone for their potential. Right. Love them right where they are and help them step into their yeah. potential. Because at that point, you're loving someone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and they might not ever step into it. So this young brother had incredible potential. And the, the church was packed at his funeral because people were hurting so bad to see such potential not meet its mark. But at mm. the end of the day, he was a believer in the Lord, even though mm. he struggled with mm. addiction. Mm. Yes. So praise God, he's eternally yeah. secure. So that the ending is a good one. Yeah. But in between, as we await our time with the Lord, it's a sad ending mm. as, as we grieve and wait. Mm. Mm. Ren and I have people that don't make it a lot mm. and not just, oh, one a year kind of deal. It's like one or two every five weeks kind of deal, maybe sometimes more. Um, but I don't know. This is, There's no book on this. There's no clinical proof and research, but I do know a lot of substance abusers that get themselves down the road 
too far. They seem to be very sensitive spirits. And a lot of those, it's almost like life is too mean and they can't make it. And I went through a course one time where they, uh, this recovery residential treatment program, the director was presenting. And at the end of her presentation, she put up, there had to be 16 young guys that went through the program, but that had died of overdose Mm. or suicide. Mm. And I think, Jonathan, when we were initially talking here, I think the leading cause of death now for 30-year-old males and and younger, the leading cause is overdose. You could look that up, but I think if not, it's either the top one or two. And uh, so the sad stories uh, we have, and and, um, and we're talking about Steve that lost his life. And I'm thinking about another guy that was coming to see me really over life coaching. And um, he died of alcohol poisoning. Mm -hmm. I think of another guy that went on a men's guy's golf trip with all his friends. And um, he drank so much that he died of alcohol poisoning that night, healthy as a horse. Mm-hmm. And we hear those, mm-hmm. those stories, mm-hmm. but the yeah. stories that, yeah. that are victorious. Yeah. Let's are, flip the script. Well, Rand is living proof, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm telling you where he was. I mean, I'll let Rand speak to it, but he even got his GED in high school and that freak. And Susie Apple going, well, how do you do that? Talk about you, a break you, in the lineage a bit. I mean, he got what? Where's he going? Generational fumble. Right. And then right. from there. For our international listeners, that's a high school equivalency. General that's, education yeah. diploma is, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I love that. And I suggest that to certain people. Sure. Saying, you yeah. know, the high school scene is just too much pressure to show sure. up every day and go. Go do that because Rand's living proof because then he got a college degree, which totally shocked us. Yeah. And And he went above and beyond that. And and then went and got a master's degree in theology. Grace must be a real thing, John. (laughs) (laughs) Which which at that point, I'm going, man, I can't even be in the same room with you. You know, that kind of deal. But that is a a victory. Um, Years and years ago, Rand was finishing up his program at No Longer Bound, nine-month program. Mm -hmm. Talking about the family camp we spoke at. Mm-hmm. So we had a young life ministry. You explain that to them in a minute. But it was a family camp. So we're all at a camp out of town for the weekend. Right. And I was the speaker. And I talked about one of the evenings, a prodigal child. And then I said, you don't know this and you don't know me, but I'm coming in to be your, quote, pastor of young life. But I want you to meet a real prodigal child. And I didn't tell him that Rand was our son. Hmm. I said, so I want this guy to come up and tell you his story. Hmm. And uh, he did. And I got up after that. And I said, so just for you to know, you all have hired me to come in and be your director. I'm supposed to be all this in a bag of chips. That's our son. Yeah. So we're all in the same boat. So let's start in a level playing field. We all yeah. got stuff. Yeah. And um, it got real emotional. I still get emotional 21 mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. But that night, Jenny was in the audience, Rand's wife. 
they didn't know each other. At that point, yeah. At that point, Jenny came up and introduced herself to Rand after he spoke. And from there, three grandchildren later and all these <laughs> things, yeah. that's a miracle. Yeah. That's victory. Yeah. And uh, so. Yeah. Add on top of that, the, the countless thousands that you have canceled. Mm-hmm. You want one more? Oh, yeah, please. Okay, so thanks for that. Dad. You don't that, count. Just, You're just no, I know. <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's, I mean, this many years later, it's just incredible to see God's hand in that. And I attended the church here to hear your dad preach. And I was in my twenties, like weeks removed from recovery. And I came with a church family that Jenny lived with as their live in support person. And this was all foundational to the early stages of my life in ministry. And now I'm a pastor on, on the team here with you, brother. And yeah. it's just amazing. It's un- unbelievable. Yeah, praise God for it. Yeah. But when I was on the youth ministry team here at the church, uh, 10 or 12 years ago, one of the dads came up to me quietly and said, Hey, would you minister to my daughter? And I said, all right, well, uh, sure. So wherever that's the case, I always minister from a distance just to honor the difference there. And little did I know she was an inmate in the Cobb County detention center, church member's daughter. So I went different kind of ministry. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I went and ministered to this young lady who was struggling with opiate addiction and, had this horrible life. Her life was on the line, life or death every day. And she was sitting in there and I went in and read the word and spoke into her life uh, as a clergy visit and uh, continued that influence in her life from a distance for the next five years. Mm. Well, after walking with her through that process and her finding recovery herself, she went on to surrender her life to the Lord, Mm. uh, step into God's calling on her life and um, met a guy who had served seven years in the in this federal penitentiary for bank robbery, who had played college football, hurt his back. Okay, D1 college football hurt his back, got on opiates to try to rehab as quickly as possible. Then he got strung out and started robbing banks to support his addiction. So this guy did, did seven years in the penitentiary, comes out, they meet each other. And the first wedding, Jonathan, of, of the so many that I've officiated was a former heroin addict and a bank robber. And I officiate this wedding and see God's hand in the seven years of restoration work unfold. And now they have two kids and they walk with the Lord. And just incredible story. Trophies of grace. Yeah. Well, this has been uh eye-opening and helpful. And um, I do thank the Lord for both of you. And uh, Randy, Rand, I'm so thankful for your ministries. And uh, we're so grateful for the time that you've given us today to share your insights, your wisdom, your personal stories. And so the, the whole Candid crew is very grateful and thankful for you coming out and talking with Thanks, us. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. Honored to be here. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.